The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Here's my question to begin. Uh, you made it to church. Well done, by the way. It's hard work sometimes, isn't it? Especially if you have uh, small children or it's cloudy. The, the cloudy days make you want to sleep in a little bit. Um, it's hard work to get to church. Why do you come? Why do you come to church? Um, has anybody ever asked you that? Why do you go to church? I did a funeral once, or a wedding, I'm sorry, I did a wedding once for, um, I actually did not mean that as a joke. <laughs> I don't even feel that way. Nevertheless, I asked the question, uh, I was asked the question, what I do when I, when I did this wedding, because it was kind of this uh, rent-a-pastor thing. And I, and I said to the woman, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And she looked at me and she said, why? An, that's interesting. Why do you go to church? Why? Maybe you've, maybe you've invited someone to church. I hope you have, many times. And you said, hey, you want to come to church? And they said, well, it's I'm not really interested. I don't, I don't see any value in going. I don't, I don't need it. And, and if they said, I don't know why I should go to church, what would you tell them? Why? There's probably a few different ways we could answer that question, right? We, we're going to look at one of the most important this morning. We're continuing through 2 Corinthians. Uh, and as the passage was read, did you hear some strong language? He said things like, I fear that when I come to you, you may not, I may not find you as I wish, and you may not find me as you wish. Rough and tumble, it sounds like. Um, he says it again in 13.2. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warned them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit. If I come again, I will not spare them. Spare them. What's going on? Well, we have to take a step back, right? Think, uh, remember the context. Last several weeks, we've seen, haven't we? There's a war for the heart of this church. There's a war for the heart of this church. There's new leaders who have stepped in, and they're trying to influence the church to believe a different gospel about Jesus, to have a different framework on how one gets right with God, to have a different way of living life. They want the church to follow them. And part of what they're doing then to accomplish that is they're slandering the apostle. They want to cut ties between the Corinthian church and the apostle Paul. So they demean him, they slander him, so that the church will follow them. So we've seen the last few chapters, Paul has had to argue his legitimacy to the Corinthian church. Why would he have to do that? So they'll trust his message about Jesus, right? And you see what you see Paul refer to that in chapter 12, verse 11. Look what he says, our first verse. He says, I've been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. What made him feel like a fool? It was having to, um, as he said last week, or two weeks ago, boast about himself. He feels foolish having to argue for his own legitimacy. Don't you feel that way if you had to kind of toot your own horn for something? He felt like a fool to have to do that. But he says to the church, you forced me to it. I ought to have been commended by you. What should the church have done when new teachers come in saying, hey, different gospel, different apostle, follow us? What should the church have done? They should have said, no, we know who we are. We know what we believe. We know who our apostle is. That's what they should have said, but they didn't. So he's had to argue for his legitimacy and we've seen that in the last few chapters, and now we see in chapter 12 to chapter 13, uh, what's next on Paul's travel schedule? Did you notice? He's going to visit. See it in chapter 12, 14. What does he say? Here for the third time, I'm, come, I'm ready to come to you. Chapter 12, verse 20. I fear that perhaps when I come. Chapter 13, verse 1. This is the third time I'm coming to you. Chapter 13, verse 10. Um, I'm coming, right? So, so guess what? He's coming. He's coming to visit, and so he's prepping them, isn't he? His first time with the Corinthian church was when he went to the city of Corinth 
originally shared the gospel with people. They trusted Christ. A church was formed. He was with them for quite a while. You can read about it in the book of Acts. Then, several years later, some things have happened. Some things have changed. He comes for a second visit, and it's terrible. It's terrible because this church is no longer on solid ground on who they follow and what they live for. So it's a mess. Then he skips his planned third visit to give them time to sort themselves out, to pick a team. Who do you follow? What do you believe? And now he's coming for the third time. Um, and he's wondering how things will go. And he's, what, what's he asking the church to do? Are you, are you going to be who you say you are? Are you going to follow the Lord seriously, legitimately? That's what he's after. Okay, that's, that's context, best I can do for now. What's the point for us? What's the point for you this morning? We're not going to get a visit from the apostle next week, as interesting as that would be. Uh, hopefully, we know where we stand on what gospel we believe. Hopefully, we know that. Hopefully, we know about what Jesus wants for us. I think the main point for us today from this passage is seeing the example of Paul's heart for this church. Seeing, seeing the example of what he wants so badly for them. And then following suit. Following that example that he set. So let's think in our minds, why does he do what he does? Why is there both this, hey, I love you, I love you. He calls them beloved. And then he says, you might not find me as you wish. Why is there this tension between these two things? And in that, is the, I think, is, is the question, why do you come to church? It's going to be the same answer. So, why come to church? Why invest in church? The answer's right here. Look with me, two really important verses in this passage. 12, 19 to begin. Chapter 12, verse 19. Paul says here, it's in the sight of God we've been speaking in Christ. So when he says we've been speaking in Christ... He says we're doing it for Jesus, we're doing it by the power of Jesus, right? What we're doing here, we're talking for Jesus. Then he calls them beloved. What does beloved mean? It's one of those great titles in the New Testament. It's as if we can't find a better name for you, this church, than those who are loved. That's your name, beloved. Can you think of a better name than that? What's notable about you? God really loves us. That's who we are. So between these two truths, all in this one sentence, he calls them beloved. He says, we're speaking in Christ. Look again, 1219. It's in the sight of God we've been speaking in Christ and all for your what? Do you see it in the text? All for your upbuilding. All for your upbuilding. What is his goal for the church? Everything he writes, everything he said in this letter, to do what? It's to build them up. Every single thing, to build them up. Look again at chapter 13, verse 10. Paul says, For this reason I write these things while I'm away from you, that when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me. So first thing to notice, um, who gave him the authority to be an apostle? Jesus, Jesus said, Paul, you're, you're one of my apostles. That means Jesus, the risen Christ, gave Paul authority to proclaim Jesus. How do you know who Jesus is and what it means to follow him? You have to hear the testimony of the apostles. It's the only way. There's no other way. Jesus gave Paul that authority. And what was the authority for? The authority that the Lord has given me for what? Building up. Jesus made Paul an apostle to do what? Build up the church. Build up the church. Why is Paul so gracious and long-suffering and gentle and enduring with these people? To build them up. Why is he so strong sometime and convictional, saying hard truth? Build them up. Why is everything he does for the church to build them up? Because that's what Jesus has given him to do. Do you see how big this is? Whose idea was it that Paul would give his life to build up the church as an apostle? The Lord Jesus. 
Why does Paul preach and teach and do everything that he does? Build up the church. Are you, are you grabbing something? Maybe what should be a passion for us? Why do we go to church? We're going to look at this idea in three parts this morning. We're going to see the point, the point to get built up. To, to get built up. What does it mean? The point is to get built up. Number two, we're going to see the power. Where do we get the courage for engaging in this, participating in it? Number three, we're going to see the practical. What are some practical ways we get built up? So the point, the power, the practical. The point, get built up. Power, what's going to motivate me, keep me going? Practical, how do we do it? All right, that's what we're doing today. Number one, the point. Well, you've seen it, haven't you? What's Paul doing? He's building up the church. Now, my question is, what, what does that mean? What does that mean to build up the church? I, I, bet, if you th- I bet if you consider this idea, you'll, you'll think, oh my gosh, this is in every epistle. It's in every letter. I think one of the plainest places is in Ephesians 4, 12. Look at this, Ephesians 4, 12. Specifically, Paul is talking about the role of leadership in the church In Ephesians 4.12, Paul says, it's to equip the saints for the work of ministry for what? Building up the body of Christ. Saint means Christian, and the Christian's ministry is to do what? Build up the body of Christ. So this is huge. Are you a Christian? What's your ministry? Build up the body of Christ, the church. Verse 13 until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity. In the Greek, it says mature manhood. It just means you've grown up in Christ. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And here we get, really, our our definition of what it means to be built up. It's maturity in Christ. Christian maturity. So we've already seen um, do you have to be mature to be saved by Jesus? I guess that's my question. Do you have to have your theology right? Your life all together? Is that how this works? You fix yourself, come to Jesus, you might be good enough for him to be like, okay. Is that how this works? No, the Christian gospel is completely the opposite. Completely the opposite. You were fully broken, fully rebellious, fully a sinner. Jesus loved you anyway came and lived for you, died for you, rose for you. The moment you trust in him, we get the word called justified. The moment you look to him and say, I need you, forgive me, I wanna live for you. The moment you trust in him, you're justified, 100% made perfect in the eyes of the Father because you wear the righteousness of Christ. So the person who's the biggest mess in history, they look to Jesus and God the Father says, Perfect, accepted in my sight, because, not because of what this person is, but because of who Jesus is, for that person. That's the gospel. Okay, now what? Now what? You trust Jesus Christ, uh, your standing is changed, you're a child of God, but uh, what about the everyday behavior of that person? Still got some problems? Still got some uh, off-color ways of thinking, some problematic ways of speaking, some crooked ways of feeling, some wrong ways of living. Even though he's perfect before the Father in Christ, what about his actual practical lifestyle? Is any work to be done there? Lots of work to be done there. And so that's that next chapter. To be made mature is to live according to who you already are. It's to let the power of your justification, your identity in Christ, start to creep in and take over your everyday life so that you love, you start to love, honestly love what Jesus loves. The law no longer is this burden of, oh, do I have to? It's more like, God, you love this. I want to see through your eyes. I want to love what you love. The way you talk begins to be like, I want to please Jesus in how I talk. Changes how you talk. The, the way you see the world, I want to see it through the lens Jesus sees it. I want to feel the way Jesus wants me to feel. Fruit of the Spirit. It's just the character of Jesus lived out in your life. The fruit of the Spirit is love. 
joy, peace, patience, onward, onward, self-control. What is the fruit of the Spirit other than a picture of maturity? The mature Christian life. And so to be built up is to be in the process of becoming mature. It's, it's really, another way to say this, it's, it's finishing the work that Christ has started. What has he done for you? He's made you righteous before the Father. But still the eunice of you isn't all the way righteous, right? And so let's get going. Let's get started on that. To become more and more righteous, more and more like Jesus. And everything about church is for this, you guys. It's amazing. Look at Colossians 1.28. What does Paul say about his ministry there? Colossians 1.28. Paul says, him, that's Jesus. Jesus we proclaim. So sometimes that means warning everyone. Jesus is king. Warning everyone. What else do we do? Teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? What's his goal? That we may present everyone, what? Mature in Christ. That's the goal. I want you to look like Jesus. I want to build you up. This is so fundamental, it's written into part of our mission here at Fountain of Life. Eternal glory, bonus points, anybody who can uh, name the first line from memory. Grounded in the gospel, bonus points. I can't really hand out bonus points. Grounded in the gospel, that means uh, your feet are firmly planted. It's that idea of you're beloved in Christ. You're justified. You see yourself as a child of God. You're grounded on Jesus Christ. Grounded in the gospel, the next line is, we gather to what? To grow in the gospel. That's the heartbeat of this passage. Jesus has changed my life. I want to be more like him. I want to be a catalyst for helping others be more like him. So when we meet together, we gather to to grow, to be built up, to mature. Look at some of the places this is in the New Testament. Just in Corinthians, look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8.1. What does love do? Love builds up. You love your brothers and sisters? You're supposed to, right? (laughs) Love of Jesus to you, love of Jesus to others through you. If you love them, what do you work for? What will you pray for? What will you care about? You build them up. And what does build them up mean? Help them on their way towards maturity in Christ. That's part of you on your way towards maturity in Christ. Love builds up. 1 Corinthians 14, 12. So with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in what? Building of the church. You got the Holy Spirit in your life? Here's what you should be awesome at. Building up other believers to look like Jesus. In fact, 1 Corinthians 14, 26, let what? All things. And I'm going to just go ahead and go with all meaning All. Everything is to build you up. Everything is to build me up. Everything is to build us up. Maturity in Christ. Even everyday talk, Ephesians 4, 29. There's no more uh, confronting verse in the scriptures than this one. Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. How much corrupting, corroding, cutting? How much of that? None. Facebook would explode if we obeyed this. Twitter would disappear if we followed this. Our arguments would go away. No corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Only such as is good for what? Building up. How encompassing is this idea? Everything you say and don't say for building up. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore, another really important part to this, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. One way we build one another up is to encourage, hey, good job, I see Christ in you in this way, I'm proud of you, hang in there, I see God's love for you in your life, you can do it, give them courage. It helps build, build one another up in Christ. Why is this so huge in the church? A culture of building one another up. 
Well, look at Romans 8, 29. Here's why it's so huge. For those whom he foreknew, is God the Father thinking about those he loves, those he's going to save. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined. He predetermined something. This, this is the epic, eternal plan of God for his people. He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. It's true. It just might not be promotions or everything you ever dreamed of. Here's what his wonderful plan for your life is. And if you have an esteem for Jesus, you'll think it's wonderful. What is God's plan for you? He's going to make you like his son. Is it gonna work? It will. That's called glorification, okay? Jesus comes back. Boom, we get a boost. Hear the process. Is it, is it immediate? Is it perfect? No. But when Jesus comes back, what happens? There it comes. We're like him. By the way, will we be happy at that point? So happy. Will we finally know what it's like to have friends, love one another? No more miscommunication. No more offense. Won't that be beautiful? No more hurt feelings. No more discord. Unity in Christ and thrilled with the face of God. Church, God, has, he's very passionate about this plan. It's to make you like Jesus. So I'll ask you again. Why do you come to church? What's at least from these passages we're looking at a major reason someone is a part of a church. We gather to grow in the gospel. We are here to be built up and to build up one another. We are after maturity in Christ. That's what we want. Maturity in Christ. I guess, I guess one thing we have to ask now, is that your motivation? Are you praying for that on Saturday nights? Lord, as we get together tomorrow, will you please mature me and make me more like Jesus? Lord, when we get together tomorrow, will you help me encourage someone, like that Thessalonians text said, and help build them up? Will you help me? Will you help me be a part of building one another up? Lord, will you, will you make us mature in every way? Show us ways, Lord, we're falling short. Move us forward so that we'll look like Jesus. Totally change the picture, wouldn't it, of why we come to church? It would totally change our attitude, our hearts, our expectations. If somebody was uh, mean to you and offensive, how, how might it change your perception? You know, sometimes, oh, somebody was mean to me at church, I'm gone, I'm out of here. Hey, I'm not saying there's not a time to leave churches, there are sometimes. But what if your goal was to be mature and your goal was to build up others? Wouldn't it change your perspective there? Lord, how do I handle the sense of offense I'm feeling? How would you handle it? Oh, some things are happening there when you ask questions like that. Show me how to forgive, Lord, like you've forgiven me. That's mature. That looks like Jesus. Help me to bear with folks who don't always get it right, like you do with me, over and over again. Lord, how can I, how can I then be a, a picture of your grace and your love to this person in a, in a fresh way, maybe that they haven't seen before? All, all of a sudden, everything is changing because you know why you're here. Because Jesus has changed you, you're grounded in the gospel, and now you gather, you gather ultimately to do what? To grow. Those who are grounded in the gospel will band together to get built up in the gospel. We're after maturity. All right, how do you do it? Where do you find courage or power or perspective for it? We'll get into some of the nitty-gritty of this text here. You'll notice that in chapter 12, verses 11 to 18, it's a, it's a longer section on Paul arguing for why the Corinthians should trust him and why the slander from those false teachers isn't true. So we'll look at just a few of these things here. Uh, number one, you'll see in verses 11 to 12, 
I'm not inferior to these super apostles, he says in 11. Super apostles, kind of sarcastic, let's be honest. And then look what he drops on him here. He could have mic dropped at verse 12. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, signs and wonders and mighty works. Mic drop. Do you know what that means? Remember the miracles where the sick people were healed? If you want a picture of the early account of miracles accomplished through the hand of Paul and the other apostles, look at the book of Acts. Crazy stuff, amazing stuff. But that's one thing for the resume, right? Who's the apostle? I'm not sure. Well, this one healed a paralyzed person in the name of Jesus. I don't know. Does it count for something? He runs through it real quick. Can you imagine talking like that? Is Matt a good pastor? Well, he did heal several people. I've never done that, by the way. But it was, this, he said, it's, he calls, do you see what he calls it? The signs of a true apostle. The signs of a true apostle. So God really blessed the explosion of the gospel through the apostles by giving vindication of the message through the miracles, right? This new thing on the, on the radar of the world religions. Hey, Jesus is the Christ. How do we know? The lame man could walk. That's okay. Just like it was a sign that Jesus is the Son of God, a sign that these apostles are His, miracles, signs of a true apostle were done. Wow, okay. Okay. That's just one. But look at what's next service with integrity. Look at verse 13. And what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. There's a lot of background here. The Corinthian church would expect if you were a traveling teacher, you kind of. You ponied up and you gave him a lot of money. It was cultural expectation. Here's the thing with Paul. He didn't want to be identified with that kind of traveling philosopher, number one. And number two, he would never take money from a church he was planting unless it was to plant a different church. Because when he came to the, to the first field of the city and he shared the gospel, he did it free because he wanted everybody to know the gospel's free. Now, he'll take funds from that church to send him to talk to another church. He's not against churches given. He tells them to do it all the time. But when he's there, he won't burden them. And he says, that's a sign I'm trustworthy. I never wanted anything from you. I wanted to give to you. Not only that, verses 16 to 18 are about how his team that he sent did the same thing. They did the same thing. What's he arguing for here? Well, earlier he said, hey, you're super apostles. They sure love to take money from you. When we came, we wouldn't touch it, and we won't, we won't touch your money the next time we come either because we're not here for what we can get from you. We're here for what we can give to you. It's another sign that he's trustworthy. In fact, look what he says in, verses, in, in chapter 12, verse 14 to 15. Children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. Verse 15, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. That's amazing. That's amazing. He sees himself like a spiritual father to this church. And that's legitimate, right? He went to the city of Corinth, planted the church. And then he says, I'll give everything. I will spend myself for your soul. Isn't that another way to say, I've given my entire life that you would be built up? I've given my entire life that you'd be built up. I'm like a spiritual father. It reminds me of what he said back in chapter 11, verse 2. Look at that, chapter 11, verse 2. Paul said, I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. He's using it. Um, we don't have the same kind of context in our day today. In the ancient world, the father had huge responsibility for, for preserving and protecting his daughter in order to present her to um, her groom. And so Paul is using that analogy to say, it's like I'm your dad, you're my daughter, and I want you totally devoted. Who's the ultimate groom? Who's the husband? I want you totally devoted to Jesus. I want you totally devoted to Jesus. I'm like a father. I'm jealous for this. I want you totally devoted to Jesus. So he's arguing for his legitimacy as their apostle. Look, I love you. I'm giving my life for you. God did miracles through me. I'm serving you with integrity. 
What's the response he's looking for? Trust me. Uh, isn't that what he's saying? Trust me. Open your heart to me. Trust what I'm saying. Look again in uh, verse 14. Verse 14 of chapter 12. Here for the third time I'm ready to come to you and I will not be a burden for I seek not what is yours but, what's he want? He says, I seek not what is yours but you. I want your heart. I want your mind. Now does he, in context, does he mean he wants it for himself? I want you to trust me fully so that I can help you be devoted to Jesus. Because guess who really doesn't just want what you have? He wants you. Guess who it is? He wants you. Jesus. Isn't that maturity? When you say in Jesus, take, take me. Take all of me. Take all of my life. Take all of my relationships. Take all of my choices. Take all of my goals. Jesus, I'm yours. What is that? It's worship, it's devotion, it's maturity. So we're seeing Paul argue for his legitimacy as an apostle so that the church can be devoted to Jesus. Now how does that play for you and me? How does that help us? Well, why are we doing 2 Corinthians all spring and not... Um, cool opinions from Matt and other people. Number one, because Matt doesn't have any cool opinions that would keep you filling the seats. Why do we do, hey, we're studying 2 Corinthians. Why, why, why do we do this? Same question, you know, I ask, why are we here at church? Get built up. Why are we studying 2 Corinthians? Because it's the letter from the apostle who has authority from Jesus to build up the churches. Paul is still building up the churches today as we faithfully study the word of God and apply it correctly to our lives. This is the power for getting built up. In the same way Paul is pleading with this church to have an open-hearted trust of his ministry in their lives, do you have an open-hearted trust of God's word? Are you open to it? Do you feel God's love for you in it? Do you see what God has for you in the scriptures? Are you saying, I want to see Jesus and I want to know him and I want to get built up? How? It's a heartfelt trust of God's word. It's a hunger for it when we're together, one-on-one, -on -one, small groups, growth groups, Bible studies, bigger groups, Sunday mornings. Man, I love, wouldn't it be great if the culture of all our hearts and minds was, I love God's word. I can't wait to hear it. I can't wait to see what Jesus has done for me more. I can't wait to, to work it out in being mature. I can't wait to join other believers in that process. You know, I've had kind of a hard time praying this week. Does that ever happen for anybody? Your prayers feel like uh, they, get, they get about six inches off the ground. Um, and then when I got together this morning, 9.15, couples were praying. You know what happens to me so often when I pray with other believers? It's like the gravity was turned off. And the Lord is here with us. I don't know. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. But to, to be together, to pray together, to seek God together, to hear his word together with an open-hearted trust of God's word and, and a trust for one another to come and grow. Haven't you known that before? It builds us up. So the courage, the power for being built up is just this openness, this softness to the gospel as mediated to us through God's word. To trust it. Trust God's love for us in that word. All right, so what's the point? What are, we here to, what are we here for? At least a lot. Get built up. Maturity. What's a major way to do that? What's, what's, what's the current that takes us there? The power for it. Trust, trust, love God's word. Be open to it. All right, now let's get practical. Let's get practical. 
20 to 21, boy, quite, quite a pair of verses. I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish and that you may find me not as you wish. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, here's a list on how he hopes not to find them. This is what he does not want to see. What do we got here? Quarreling. That means what was in this church? What, what was happening a lot? Doesn't that sound like a great congregational meeting today? Let's just argue. I hope I won't find you like this. Jealousy. What's jealousy? Oh, that person got recognized. I want to get recognized. I want what they have. I deserve what they have. I, want to... I hope I won't find that, Paul says. Anger. We're just mad at each other. Hostility. Slander. Let's talk smack about each other. Gossip. Conceit. Disorder. I hope I won't find that. Why do you think he has to say that to this church? Because he found that <laughs> at the second meeting. He found it. That's what he ran into. He keeps it going. I hope when I come again, my God may, won't humble me before you. What does that mean? Here's what Paul's saying. I'm your apostle. I planted you. When I come and visit you, and you're so full of sin like this, I'm humbled because... What I'm doing ain't working. <laughs> it's not working. Dear God, please don't give me that. That's what Paul's saying. I'll be so humbled if you were like this. God wouldn't humble me. I have to mourn over the many who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, sensuality they've practiced. Is his main issue the sins they've committed? Or is his main issue how they've responded in the light of the knowledge of the sins they've committed? It's how they've responded. I hope I won't find, Paul says, that you haven't repented. Sometimes people say, oh, if only we could go back to the days of the early church. It'd be so sweet and pure. And... <laughs> Corinthians is one of the earliest churches. First Corinthians is one of the earliest letters. I'm going to go with Fountain Love Life over the church in Corinth any day. Can I get an amen? Okay. <laughs> right here. To my knowledge, we have no lawsuits towards one another. <laughs> right? Nobody's getting here early, drinking all the communion wine, getting drunk before anybody else shows up. Hey, Fountain of Life, we're doing good, right? <laughs> okay. So our context is different. But what is Paul looking for as, a, as, the, as the huge practical way their maturity would be seen. It's repentance. It's repentance. How do you get built up? It's repenting. It's turning. Repentance means turn, right? It means to turn. You were going away from Jesus. You said, this is no good. And you stopped going the way you were going. And you turned and went the other way. You went towards Christ. I think there's two major ways to repent. One, it's the ideas of sins of omission, sins of commission. Okay, sins of uh, commission, what does that mean? You're doing bad things, okay? And what does repentance mean in sins of commission? I'm going to stop doing bad things. I want to turn my life to Christ. I'm going to stop. But there's an entire... Uh, second aspect to this, sins of omission. What are sins of omission? Good things I'm not doing. Good things I'm not doing. And so repentance is to stop not doing good things or to start doing good things, which means that everything you ever do for the Lord is somehow a repentance. I want to turn towards Him, I want to get closer. I want to be more mature. I haven't, I haven't encouraged this person like I need to. That doesn't mean I'm going to sit and be like, oh, I'm, so, I'm a sinner. No, that's, not, the, the point's not, that's not the point. The point is to what? I'm going to, I'm, let's go talk. Repentance is just turning towards Christ, moving towards Christ, living out maturity more and more in every step. The practical way to get built up is repent. It's repent. It's to turn to the Lord. That's why Paul says in 13:5. Chapter 13 verse 5. Look at this. What do you need to do 
to repent well. Chapter 13, 5, what's the command? Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Do you not realize this about yourselves that Christ is in you? Paul's saying, don't you see you're Christians? Christ is in you. Unless you don't meet the test, examine yourselves. So what's a part of repentance? By the way, the same word is used in, another, in 1 Corinthians when it's talking about the Lord's Supper. What should you do as you take the Lord's Supper? Let each one examine herself. What are you looking for when you examine yourself? Examine yourself means to test or examine or prove or scrutinize to see if something is what you thought it was. Is it genuine? Am I genuine? Am I real? That's the question. Am I a real Christian? How do you know? How do you know? Have you ever had that question in your heart? Um, I want you to feel assurance. I want you to be flying high on the reality that you are a Christian. I, I want you to feel that a lot. But there are times, there are times when it's really healthy to uh, just take the test, check your pulse. Am I a believer? How do you do that? By the way, uh, let's back up one point in the sermon the point is to get built up when you come to church. Where do you find the courage and power for that? Trusting God's word. So just a little feeder there. What standard do you use to examine yourself? God's word. God's word. The book of James has a great section, right? God's word's like a mirror. You come look at it, and you see yourself, and uh, sometimes you see, you know, you just woke up, got eye boogers, your hair's like... Uh, you need some adjustment, right? You read the word, what are you gonna see? I need some adjustment. I need some repenting. I need some turning. There's less good things I need to, I need, I need to stop omitting them. There's some bad thought process, things I've said. There's some sins. I need to quit doing those things. I need to turn towards Christ. That's the test. That's the examination, and so we, we had something already. Paul gave a list, right? Did you see it? 20 to 21. Uh, you got any gossip going on? Sexual immorality? Anger. You got any anger stirring, brewing, bubbling you haven't gotten rid of? Be careful. Be careful. So what do you do? You come before God's word and you examine yourself. This is really important. You know, this is one reason we want to do devotions. Right? That's why we want to spend time with God on a regular, um, a regular schedule so that we can be in his presence, so that we can be built up. Part of how we get built up is to trust the scriptures and then repent as we examine ourselves. So how does it work? Give me just a few minutes to think about how the law and the gospel work together. Okay? Where do you see law in this passage? Law being rules for how to live correctly. You see any law in here? Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff you shouldn't do. In fact, even the command, hey, build each other up. What is that? That's law. That's a rule. Are these rules good, healthy, wise, lead to human thriving? Yes. Yes. Are these words also heavy and condemning? Yes, because I haven't always come to build you up. You haven't always come to build me up. We haven't always even taken it seriously, what God has for us as we meet together as a church. We're casual and lazy. We don't do everything for building up. How do we stand before the law in that case? Condemned. Condemned. If we were to stand before Jesus today and he looked at you in the eye and he said, did you love your local church and do everything so that you could be mature and that others could be mature in Christ? Were you committed? Were you faithful? Did you dig into relationships? Was it a priority to you? And what would you say? And if you were judged based on that command and that command alone, would you go to heaven? So this is what the law does. I'm not, get, I'm not getting to heaven based on how well I've built people up. I've failed the standard. Where do you, where do you run now that the, that, now that the law has uh, given you a bloody nose, humbled you? Where do you run now? Grounded in the gospel. 
Who kept the law? Jesus, did he always do everything to build up his people? Yeah. Is that counted in your place? Yes. Yes, Jesus fulfilled the law for me. Thank you, Jesus. And before you know it, you're going to be treasuring the gospel again. Don't read the law without the gospel. You'll either make up a fake law that you can keep, which is not pleasing to God, or you'll be crushed by the real law that you haven't kept. Look at the law, then turn to Christ. And now that you've turned to Christ and he's called you righteous and he's forgiven you of your sins, well, guess what the Holy Spirit does to our hearts with this law? He writes it on it so that we want to start doing it, not because it's a burden that we have to do, but because we've been loved, so loved by the Lord Jesus. I want to start doing the law. I want to start doing it, not out of an oppressive thing, of, you better do this. No, Jesus took the whip out of a liberating thing that says, I get to live as a child of God. I want to keep the law. I want to do what he's told me to do. I want to stop doing what he told me not to do because he's loved me so much. He's changed me. Do you see how the gospel changes that? So examine yourselves and repent while you hang on to the gospel. While you hang on to the gospel. What are we here for? Build up, get built up, build each other up. Where do you find the power for it, the perspective for it? A warm, humble trust of God's word. How do you do it practically? Repent. Repent. Keep turning to the Lord in the power of the gospel. We repent, we examine ourselves. The last thing I think to mention here is we'll stand for others. This is kind of an, an attempt to answer the, uh, the hard edge on what Paul is saying. Look at verses 13, 1 to 4. This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warn those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent as I did while present on my second visit. If I come again, I will not spare them. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he's not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you, for he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. What's he going to have to do to some false teachers and people who are blatantly living in rebellion against Christ and his word? What's he going to have to do? What does it mean I won't spare you? He's got a jail to throw him in. He's going to hang him upside down in the dungeon, the apostle dungeon. No, you know what it means? He's going to tell him the truth. That's what it means. Face to face, he's going to tell him the truth. It's going to have a courageous stand for the truth. It might, it might lead to them leaving the community. But there's nothing legal about it. There's nothing forceful about it. It's telling them the truth in the name of Jesus. Paul talks about the weakness and the power of Christ. Where was the weakness seen in Christ? Did you catch it? Didn't Christ humble himself and was weak on the cross? Gave himself up for us? That was the weakness Paul says, I, I exemplify that in my suffering for you. We've seen that in the last few weeks. And in, in my humble, I'll bear with you, Paul says. But then what happened after Jesus died on the cross? Of course, his strength is seen in his resurrection. And Paul is following that model of Christ's power and resurrection as he courageously tells the truth. And he says, Christ, the risen Christ, is working as I do that. So what's the principle for us? A part of maturity, sometimes, right, is the, it's the thump of truth and love. We have to tell the truth to one another. We have to receive the truth from one another. It should always be gracious, right, every time. It should always be humble, it should always be spoken as a fellow sinner. It should never have any self-righteousness in it. But for the glory of God and for love for one another, don't we have to sometimes tell one another truth? 
Can you have a good marriage if you can never tell your spouse the truth? I don't want to push them away, so I'm just not going to say anything about all the stuff they're doing. How, how's that going to go? It's not going to go. What do you have to do in love? Hey, can we talk? Isn't the same thing true at a church sometimes, in some ways? Can we talk? I hope that if I was uh, all of a sudden practicing slander, ripping somebody to shreds, and you heard that, I hope you'd say, hey, uh, I want to give you a taste of the power of the resurrection here for a second. You should stop. And hopefully I would repent. But it's part of building, up, building one another up. It's the stand on the truth. Isn't that what Paul's saying? All right, let's finish up. The point. What's the point, folks? Why do you come to church? Can you answer this? Why do you come to church? To get built up. To be mature in Christ. To build others up. What's the source for this? The power for this? A humble trust of the gospel in God's word, in the scriptures. And so what's the practical way to do it? Repent and keep repenting. Examine yourself. Stand on the truth. Examine yourself in the power of the gospel. I'll close with this verse. This is a blessing Paul gave to uh, Ephesian leaders when he was leaving them. Look what he said, Acts 20, verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to, what? Build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you want us to look like you. Father, we thank you that you've given us such a high calling to have Jesus Christ in us and through us that we would be like him. Lord, help us to treasure that reality, and I pray for each person here that Fountain of Life as a whole, as a culture, that we would be all about growing in Christ, about maturity, about thinking like Jesus thinks, feeling like Jesus feels, living like he lived. And that we would have a passion for seeing that in one another. Lord, help us to trust your word, to repent, Lord, to turn to you in every way. And we pray that as we do so, uh, you would build us up. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.